0: Hey, it's Marcus here from the Dope Black Dads podcast, a podcast for all parents or adults preparing for parenthood, where we discuss everything from co-parenting, masculinity, the black experience, all the way to our favourite Netflix shows. Our show is currently brought to you by Cancer Research UK for children and young people, the biggest charitable funder of research into children's and young people's cancers. This September, it's Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. In the UK, around 4,200 children and young people are diagnosed with cancer every year. However, through Cancer Research UK's dedicated research strategy, more than 8 in 10 of those diagnosed today will survive for at least 10 years with a good quality of life. For more information, please visit ciuk.org slash children and young people.
1: This week's episode includes graphic descriptions of child murder and sexual abuse. It will not be for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. April 3rd, 2010, Manchester, England. 12-year-old Tia Rigg was known as a bubbly, fun and happy girl who was crazy about Manchester United Football Club. On this spring day, she agreed to go over to her uncle's house to babysit for him and watch her beloved soccer team on his television. That would be the last thing Tia would ever do. This is a tragic and horrific story of how a young girl was drugged, tortured, raped, and eventually murdered by her own uncle, before he would then call the emergency services himself to confess Tiki's to crimes. This is Tia's story. Uh, yes, what's uh, actually
2: happened is that um, on s- Saturday the 3rd of April this year, uh, the police received a 999 call to attend out eight down main close at Sheetan Hill. That telephone call had been made by an individual called John Maiden. Uh, he reported to the police that he was responsible uh, for the murder of his niece. Uh, that led to the police uh, attending uh, that property where they went inside uh, and they discovered the uh, body of Tia Rick, uh, a 12-year-old child, child who'd been tied up, uh, sexually assaulted and murdered at that address. John Maiden was waiting for the police on his arrival. He had a suit on and he basically surrendered himself to the police. He came into custody uh, and was interviewed in relation to Tilda's death. Subsequent to that, the examinations revealed that John Maiden, from uh, interrogating his mobile phone and his laptop computer, found a number of images dating back uh, the previous year where he'd been looking at uh, paedophilia material in relation to children. He'd also downloaded uh, material in relation to the torture and murder of young children. Uh, It would appear that uh, John Maiden, then gone on to carry out this act uh, which murdered uh, how Tia was killed.
1: Tia Simone Rigg was born January 4, 1998 to parents Lynn Ahmed and Lee Rigg in Manchester, England. Lynn and Lee separated soon after Tia's birth and from my research it does not appear that Lee was ever really an influence in Tia's short life. Unfortunately even before Tia was born The Salford Social Services had placed her on the Child Protection Register, due to numerous reports of drug use, domestic violence in the household, and the likelihood she would suffer from neglect. Before Tia's birth, Lynn already had her three eldest children removed from her custody and placed with extended family. Lynn would go on to have three more children after Tia. In total, Lynn would have seven children to four different fathers – In the years that followed, Tia and her younger siblings would be the subject of many social services reports. Despite this, despite concerns of physical violence, in 2011, Tia was removed from the Child Protection Register. It wouldn't be until 2008 that Tia and her two younger brothers and younger sister would be placed back on the Child Protection Register and were subject to a child protection plan. Lynn had two previous prison sentences for robbery and assault and had a history of addictions to heroin and crack cocaine. More alarmingly, Lynn was suicidal. On numerous occasions, Lynn had attempted suicide. In early 2008, Lynn would attempt suicide in front of her four youngest children. Because of this, Tia and her siblings were removed from the home and placed in the custody of their aunt, Lynn's sister. Unfortunately, Tia being headstrong and adoring her mother despite her faults, Tia and her aunt had a disagreement, which led to Tia and her siblings being returned to their mother in October 2008. The following May, May 2009, the Child Protection Review Conference decided the children protection plans would be discontinued. This was despite the report stating the decision was flawed and was based on inaccurate information about the progress of Tia's mother, that she was still taking drugs and there were still issues of violence in the family home. Also, what wasn't known was that any progress the children were making was solely on the shoulders of the then 11-year-old Tia, as she was the only one caring for her siblings during this time. It would later be discovered that in the 12 months before Tia's murder, there would be seven incidents in the Salford home, including Lynn again attempting suicide in front of the children, leaving her children home alone unsupervised for days at a time, and regular violence between family members. These incidents were all reported, but Salford Social Services failed to intervene. Regardless of her turbulent home life, by April 2010, 12-year-old Tia Rigg had grown into a happy and bubbly preteen who loved her family and was always smiling. She adored Manchester United Football Club and would talk for hours about the player statistics. Tia had started Albion High School, where teachers would later describe her as well-mannered, with a good group of friends who she frequently hung around with. Tia lived with her mother, two younger brothers, younger sister, and grandparents in a council estate in Salford, Manchester, an area that was plagued with unemployment, drug use, and crime. When interviewed after Tia's murder, local resident John Fisher would say, quote, This is a rough estate and not the sort of place to raise a child, to be honest. There were always police around here and lots of drugs. It makes people crazy. Unquote. The family made the most of what they had, though, and would frequently host gatherings with friends and extended family, all who lived in walking distance. This included Tia's uncle and Lynn's brother, 37-year-old John Nigel Madden, and his 10-year-old daughter. Madden also loved Manchester United, and Tia would visit with him every weekend to watch the games on his television. And April 3rd, 2010 would be one of these occasions. Little did Tia know this would be the last thing she ever did. April 3rd, 2010, 2.17pm. Lynn received a phone call from her brother, John Madden. He wanted to ask if Tia could come around to babysit his 10-year-old daughter for a few hours. This wasn't an unusual request. Tia had been to Madden's home many times and always had fun there. She'd only been there the day before to play with Madden's new puppy. And besides, Tia's beloved Manchester United football team was playing Chelsea that afternoon, and this would be the perfect excuse for Tia to watch the game on her uncle's television. About half an hour later, Tia would set off to her uncle's home, which was close by at the Dudley Brew Estate on Dalmain Close in Cheatham Hill. She would arrive just before 3pm. Madden greeted Tia at the door and the two had a brief chat about the football game that day. It was after this welcoming that Madden would then drug Tia with his medically prescribed olenzopine, which is an antipsychotic drug. This would have had a sedative effect on the young girl. It would later be revealed during his sentencing trial that Madden had researched how to drug people to prevent them going into clinical shock and unconsciousness to prolong their agony as they were tortured and killed. Madden would then pick up the semi-conscious and drowsy Tia and carry her upstairs to the first-floor spare bedroom to carry out his sadistic plan.
0: Hey, it's Marcus here from the Dope Black Dads podcast, a podcast for all parents or adults preparing for parenthood, where we discuss everything from co-parenting, masculinity, the black experience, all the way to our favourite Netflix shows. Our show is currently brought to you by Cancer Research UK for children and young people, the biggest charitable funder of research into children's and young people's cancers. This September, it's Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. In the UK, around 4,200 children and young people are diagnosed with cancer every year. However, through Cancer Research UK's dedicated research strategy, more than 8 in 10 of those diagnosed today will survive for at least 10 years with a good quality of life. For more information, please visit crukorg slash children and young people.
1: Just forty-five minutes after Tia arrived at Madden's house at around three forty-five p.m., nine-nine-nine emergency services received a phone call. Madden wanted to report a murder. Quote, "My niece has been murdered by me. I have just finished killing her." Now, unquote. when Madden was asked why he murdered his niece, he said he killed her because quote, "I felt like it." Unquote. The operator then asked Madden what his niece's name was and how old she was. Madden replied that her name was Tia Rigg, and then wrongly reported her age as 11 years old. The call was cut off before being reconnected. The operator then asked for more details. How did this all happen? Madden would only reply with, quote, I have used with a knife and strangulation and that's it. Bye. Unquote. Police would arrive on the scene only minutes later and immediately place Madden under arrest. They would later state in the police report that Madden answered the door dressed in a suit and tie and was smoking a cigarette. His demeanor was described as being "quote unquote" chillingly calm. He would bring police inside the home and upstairs to the bedroom. Here, they discovered Tia's abused body. There was nothing police could do to help her. She was already dead. Tia was on the floor of the bedroom, lying face-up. She was naked except for her socks, and there was a ligature around her neck, a guitar string. Her hands were tied behind her back with shoestrings. It was obvious Tia had been stabbed in the stomach. She was severely sexually assaulted and raped. Near her head were two knives, a broomstick and a sex toy. Tia's blood was on each of these items." The medical examiner would later determine in her autopsy that Tia had been stabbed in the abdomen and suffered severe internal injuries, injuries that would have been inflicted while Tia was still alive. She had been tortured and had a horrific catalogue of sexual injuries. Tia had been raped repeatedly before she was murdered. The official cause of death was determined to be due to ligature strangulation. It was immediately clear Tia's murder was sexually motivated, but it was only when Madden's phone was taken from him following his arrest that the disturbing stories were found on text files. 37-year-old John Nigel Madden's life had quickly unravelled. In late 2008, he and his wife separated, with the two sharing custody of their young daughter. Madden moved into the council estate known as Dudley Brew Estate on Dalmain Close in Cheatham Hill, Manchester. Not long after this, in early 2009, he would also lose his warehouse worker job when the warehouse where he was working went out of business. Madden struggled to gain further employment, and instead by June 2009, he had been caught in the depths of the dark web. Madden would spend his days in his room online. No one knew exactly what he was doing, but if they had known, he would have never been allowed to be around children again. Madden had a criminal record, including burglary and later threatening behaviour. However, these crimes were 20 years earlier, and had since been struck from his criminal record. But the fact that Madden had not only stopped offending, but had done so for decades, this is unusual for a sex killer and he had no history of sex crimes. He'd only been amassing the vile porn a year before the murder. But once he began accessing the material, Madden quickly became consumed by the disturbing fantasies. July 2009, seven months before killing Tia. Madden downloaded extracts from a book that graphically described methods of torturing and murdering children in a series of stories. During her ordeal, Tia would be stabbed and tortured in acts inspired by this book. Manchester Police Major Incident Team Detective David Warren would later testify in court, quote, The stories mirrored the acts against Tia. He had read the stories, digested them, and made the leap to carrying them out, unquote. Madden had carefully and purposely planned exactly what would happen on the day he murdered Tia it would be ultimately a plan that was a year in the making. Madden had become obsessed with sadistic images and reading material involving pedophilia, rape and torture. While searching his home, police found a quote-unquote enormous pile of material on CD-ROMs and DVDs. These included at least 2,000 images of the worst level of child porn. Not only that, But Madden had looked at enough articles and videos outlining different methods of killing that he had to create folders on the desktop of his home computer to store them. Some of these folders were titled Snuff, Snuff Films and Brutal Rape. And he had planned to act out the most brutal of rapes and torture on his beautiful and trusting niece. April 8, 2010 while Madden made his first appearance at the Manchester Crown Court, Tia's mother, Lynn went missing. A close friend of the family was staying with Lynn to help her care for the children while she dealt with her grief. This friend called the Manchester Police Department around 10.30 to report that she could not find Lynn. only a note saying she wanted to be with Tia. There was an immediate concern for Lynn's well-being due to her history of suicide attempts. This concern was heightened when a quick search of the home showed that Lynn had taken numerous items from Tia's room with her. She'd also taken some money, but the police did not think she was running away. An appeal for Lynn's whereabouts was aired shortly after the report came in. That night, the local police force helicopter, as well as trained search dogs, were utilised, but Lynn was not found. However, just as mysteriously as she disappeared, the following day, the same family friend would again contact police to report Lynn had returned home safely. April 28, 2010. Tia's funeral was held at St James's Church in Cheatham Hill. Hundreds of mourners would pack into the small church to pay their final respects to this beloved sweet little girl. To honour Tia, who was always so happy and full of life, the funeral was non-traditional. Or guests wore pink, Tia's favourite colour. Reverend Simon Cook would say during the service, quote, Love is the reason why so many of you have come here today. It's what we hold on to in our deepest moment. Death always seems to take us by surprise, but especially when it comes to someone as young as Tia, unquote. To end the service, 12 pink balloons were released at the gravesite, one balloon for each year of Tia's short life. John Madden's murder trial was due to commence at the Manchester Crown Court on October 5, 2010. However, just before the trial was due to start, he chose to accept the guilty plea. This meant there would be no jury, and instead the charges would go straight to a sentencing hearing, with both sides arguing the sanity of Madden and the motive behind Tia's murder. Madden entered the courtroom flanked by staff from Ashford High Security Hospital, where he had been held since his arrest six months earlier. He was dressed in a coat, shirt and tie, not unsimilar from the outfit of choice when the police arrived at his house on the day he murdered Tia. Madden spoke only to confirm his name and his guilty plea and clutched a notepad throughout the hearing. Prosecutor Gordon Cole would say in his opening statement, In general terms, this murder was premeditated. It was a murder solely for his sexual gratification. It had a sexual motive. The facts reveal clearly features of torture, rape, physical abuse and the ultimate murder of the child, unquote. Although Madden had confirmed numerous times that he had no reason to explain why he had done what he had done, his defence team argued that Madden had been hearing voices in the weeks leading up to the murder. Madden had apparently described it as, quote, bad voices telling him what to do, unquote. However, the judge dismissed these claims. Instead, the judge said there was a sexual motive behind the horrific murder. In sentencing, Mr Justice Keith would state Madden's talk of voices seemed to be a, quote, «Defense mechanism intended to shift the blame», unquote. Only one conversation he had the night before Tia's murder seemed to show Madden was losing his grip on normality. In a web chat on an online forum discussing violent crimes, Madden boasted to two university students that he was a writer with, quote, particular interest in rape, unquote. Yet in a search of his home by investigators, the only evidence of any writing was a handful of scribbled ineligible notes. Those notes showed no evidence of his murderous intent, and despite his initial confession to the 999 emergency dispatcher, Madden would only give no-comment responses during his interviews with police after his arrest. The question of why he targeted his niece was never revealed, and still hasn't to this day. Manchester Police's Major Incident Team Detective David Warren would break down in his testimony for court, quote, Why has he done this? Why take a leap from looking at this material and go on to carry out the act within a year? Why, tear? All those questions remain unanswered, unquote. In passing sentence, Mr Justice Keith said that in Madden's case, a mandatory life sentence would mean just that, Quote, It is escapable that Tia Rigg died because you decided to realise your fantasies about torturing and killing a young child. The fact you chose your 12-year-old niece who put her trust in you makes what you did all the more unspeakable as was the fact that all of this was planned by you and you lured her into your home by pretending you wanted her to babysit for you. It's difficult to know how long Tia's ordeal lasted. The terror, the unimaginable pain you inflicted on her, the indignities you subjected her to while she was still alive. This was a horrific crime in which a young girl who had everything to live for and placed her trust in you was carried out in your lair. It was planned, it was premeditated and her agony must have been prolonged. This is one of those exceptional cases in which the only just punishment requires you to be imprisoned for the rest of your life, Unquote. John Nigel Madden would be only the 40th person in the history of the United Kingdom to receive such a sentence. After the sentencing, Lynn made her statement to the media, quote, Tia was my baby girl. She was always happy and never sad. She brought a smile to everyone who she met. Tia was loved by everyone, family and friends, but to me she wasn't just my daughter, she was my best friend. When this nightmare happened, it killed me inside. My heart has been broken and it will never mend. All that is left is a big empty hole. For me, this nightmare will never end, but justice has been done, at least Tia can rest in peace.' Tia was my whole world. I loved her so much. She was my life. I miss her big smile every morning and her beautiful freckly face. She always laughed when I said that. Not a day goes by when I don't think of her. I love and miss her so much and always will. Unquote. May 2011, Lynn hired personal injury lawyers to possibly sue social services for compensation due to their inaction to remove Tia from her care despite numerous reports, and that this directly led to her murder. While this did not result in any compensation paid, it did lead to a review of Salford's social services policies and procedures, in particular their dealings with Tia prior to her death a year earlier. This review found a, quote, number of serious failings in the management of Tia's case, unquote, in several key areas. A, quote, over-optimistic and unrealistic perception, unquote, of Lynn's capacity to care for the children. As we mentioned earlier, it was Tia that was responsible for caring for her younger siblings due to Lynn's deteriorating mental health left her unable to carry out the most simplest of tasks for her children, that the children were allowed to remain with their mother for 18 months before Tia's death. This was despite family violence within the home and Lynn's numerous suicide attempts, some of which occurred in front of her young children. That due to this, removing Tia and her siblings from their mother's care, quote, should have been seriously considered, unquote. That there were seven separate incidents between October 2009 and March 2010, where agencies should have intervened but failed to do so. And in these seven incidents, there were numerous examples where information should have been shared between agencies but weren't. However, according to Manchester Police, they confirmed the family were known to them during this time, but in their opinion, it was not for anything significant. Leader of the Salford Council, John Mary, closed the review with, quote, This is a tragic case and our thoughts remain with the child's family. No one could have predicted what happened to her when she visited her uncle that day, but we know more could have been done during her childhood to support her in coping with her unstable home life. However, even if this child had been removed from her home, she could have not have been prevented from having contact with her family. Removing her from her home would therefore not have prevented her death." And I would have to concur with this statement. Madden did portray himself as a caring family man. He regularly attended gatherings at the home of his mother, Sheila, the same home where Tia lived with her mother. He saw Tia often. He was trusted to spend time alone with her. Only the day before he murdered her, Tia spent the day there playing with a new puppy he bought for his own daughter. And even though the child protection agencies did fail Tia in a massive way, not being with Lynn would not have stopped this. Madden still would have had access to her as he did her older siblings. The only difference would be Lynn wouldn't have to live with the guilt of allowing her daughter to go to his house on that day. This lack of concern, though, did highlight a failure in the system to appreciate the growing chaos within the family when legal proceedings should have been considered to safeguard Tia and her siblings and because of the lack of communication between the agencies, and because of Tia's strong protection of her mother to a certain extent by being the primary caregiver in the household, this led to information about Lynn not properly being analysed to give an understanding of the risks of the children. However, I cannot state enough, it was not Lynn who murdered Tia. As I mentioned before, Lynn's older children were placed into the custody of extended family, and Madden still saw these children regularly, including sleepovers at his house in Cheatham Hill. Removing Tia from Lynn would not have saved Tia from the horrendous acts in which she suffered at the hands of her uncle. October 19, 2012. Tia's older brother, 19-year-old Marcel Madden, was arrested for stashing guns and ammunition at his mother Lynn's home. Marcel had been on the police's radar for some time. Prior to his arrest, police suspected he was involved in gang behaviour. So when Marcel attended court to support a close friend charged with possession of unlicensed firearms, police took the opportunity to seize Marcel's phone. And when they looked at his images, they found him also to be in possession of numerous weapons. A raid was conducted on the family home in Higher Brighton in the early morning hours, under the floorboards of the house, police found a balaclava, gloves and a vast amount of guns, including a Lambert 12-bore double-barreled shotgun, a Smith & Wesson revolver, a US revolver, a P38 9mm pistol, a single-stack box magazine, a 25-round magazine for an Uzi submachine gun, a silencer for the machine gun, and 86 rounds of ammunition. At Marcel's trial... Police described how he had sent numerous texts boasting about shooting his rivals and how he was the boss of a drug syndicate that dealt in an MCAT and ketamine to the streets of Manchester. Other texts described how Marcel had, quote, shot some guy that shot up his house, unquote, and claimed two people were found dead after a drug deal that had gone wrong. Police did look into both of these allegations but could find no evidence to support his claims of murder. Marcel Madden would ultimately be sentenced to seven years and eight months in prison. This case is just so incredibly sad. Although it is now clear that Madden had a serious obsession with child pornography and had that desire to act out his deepest sadistic fantasies, no one could have known what was to happen as there was no warning signs or previous convictions relating to murder or pedophilia which, as I said earlier, is generally the starting point in crimes like these. Madden escalated so quickly and became so obsessed so quickly. There was no way Lynn or anyone else could have known what was going to happen that day. It is understanding to expect Tia would have been safe and had a great time that day, visiting her uncle and cousin and their new puppy to watch her favourite team's football game. As Detective Superintendent Mary Doyle said in front of the media in a press conference just after Madden's arrest, quote, All murders are terrible, but when it happens to a 12-year-old girl, it's just horrendous. Unquote. A young girl was taken so violently and in such a degrading way, by someone she trusted. I think if Tia had not gone that day, one way or another, Madden would have found another victim, maybe even his own daughter. In my opinion... Nothing could have prevented this death. If you have your own thoughts on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss any episode, and join the discussion group to share your ideas and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, and on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please share on your social media of choice and rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. This week's episode was researched, written, hosted and produced by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.
0: It's Marcus here from the Dope Black Dads podcast, a podcast for all parents or adults preparing for parenthood, where we discuss everything from co-parenting, masculinity, the black experience, all the way to our favourite Netflix shows. Our show is currently brought to you by Cancer Research UK for children and young people, the biggest charitable funder of research into children's and young people's cancers. This September, it's Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. In the UK, around 4,200 children and young people are diagnosed with cancer every year. However, through Cancer Research UK's dedicated research strategy, more than 8 in 10 of those diagnosed today will survive for at least 10 years with a good quality of life. For more information, please visit
2: crukorg slash children and young people.